Well, good morning, Genesis. Uh, my name is Michael. I serve here as one of the pastors at Genesis and just want to say thanks for tuning in, whether you're tuning in via our website or watching on Facebook Live. We are certainly glad to have these moments with you today and uh, a happy Palm Sunday to all of you. Now, if you're not familiar with Palm Sunday, this is the day uh, that the Christian church worldwide celebrates when Jesus arrived in the city of Jerusalem roughly five days before he would be crucified. Now, to be completely honest with you, Palm Sunday has always been one of those Sundays uh, where it seems weird to celebrate the first day of Jesus' last week on earth which also happens to be his worst week on earth. This is going to be the week where Jesus would be betrayed by one of his closest friends. He would be denied by one of his closest friends. He would be completely deserted by all of his friends. He's going to be mocked by the religious leadership of the day. He is going to be beaten and then flogged by Roman soldiers. And then ultimately, at the end of the week, he is going to be murdered on a cross. Now, I'm not sure of your background, uh, but for me, I grew up in the church, and I grew up going to church, so Palm Sunday was always one of those Sundays when a Sunday school teacher would put a fake palm branch in my hand and tell me and tell all the other kids just to start waving around the palm branch uh, as big as we possibly could. All of the parents would smile and cheer, and, uh, and then they would take a bunch of pictures. Uh, all of the adults seemed to get a kick out of that. We got a bunch of peeps out of the deal, so I didn't mind waving a palm branch in the air. Now, it's been a good couple decades since I actually did any palm branch waving, uh, but as I've grown up, I've put some thought into uh, the meaning of Palm Sunday, meaning the meaning behind this is the first day of Jesus' last week on earth. And one of the questions that I have been asking myself specifically this past week is this, are we today just as confused about Jesus as the crowds were that day? Are we today just as confused about Jesus and who He is as the crowds were that day? Now, to set the stage for all of us for what happened on the first day of the last week of Jesus' life on earth... Uh, I wanted you to think for a moment uh, about when Boston celebrates a duck boat parade. Now, when we have a big duck boat parade, it's because one of our teams has won a championship. So over the past 20 years, Boston has hosted a ridiculous amount of duck boat parades, whether it's for the Red Sox, whether it's been for the Celtics, whether it's been for the Bruins, or clearly whether it's been six times for the Patriots in the last 20 years. Now, the estimated attendance at these duck boat parades is well over a million people. Now, I personally never have actually attended one of these duck boat parades, but from what my friends have told me, it is absolute insanity. People are just so fired up to celebrate whatever the championship that has just been won. So they're not only fired, to fired up to celebrate, but they're also just so jazzed to see whoever their favorite player roll on by. Now, again, from what I've heard, there is just so much energy happening at these duck boat parades that it just feels like downtown Boston is going to explode with all sorts of excitement. Now, obviously, what does a duck boat parade have anything to do with Palm Sunday? 
Well, the population in Jerusalem normally, in roughly 30 AD, would be an estimated uh, population of about 100,000 people. But when it was time to celebrate Passover, Jerusalem would swell to have over a million people coming into the city because every Jewish person is now coming to celebrate Passover. Now, again, if you're not maybe familiar with what Passover is, Passover for the Jewish people was more than just a religious observance. For the Jewish people, this was the time where they would celebrate being liberated after 400 years of being enslaved or being in bondage to Egypt. Now, in the first century, the Jewish people found themselves once again in bondage, enslaved, as it were, specifically in bondage politically to the Roman Empire. So, with every Passover celebration, these celebrations became increasingly politically charged because the people, they wanted to be liberated once again. So if you can, imagine what it would be like to have over a million plus people gathering in a rather small city, all wanting to see one thing happen. And the one thing that they desperately wanted to see happen was freedom from Roman occupation. Clearly, there would certainly be a far greater energy in the air in downtown Jerusalem, in the city of Jerusalem, than you'd find at any duck boat parade. But this Passover week in particular, it was very, very different for one reason alone, and the difference was Jesus showed up. Now, there is so much hype in the air about this miracle working, raising the dead back to life, demon defeating, walking on water carpenter who was now entering into the city of Jerusalem. And so all of the people are asking themselves, asking each other one question, is Jesus the Savior who will save us from Rome? We've seen Jesus do so many amazing things. Is Jesus going to be the Savior who is going to liberate us or save us from Rome? And so what you need to know is the city is abuzz with hope and expectation that Jesus would in fact be the one who is now going to liberate the Jewish people from Roman occupation. Now maybe this is certainly to a lesser extent, but I think we can all somewhat relate with this. Every four years, the political climate in our country goes crazy, absolutely crazy. People are filled with such hope that their candidate, whether he or she, whoever the candidate might be, is going to be the one who finally restores some semblance of order and fixes everything that's wrong in our country. Certainly, again, to a lesser extent, but I think we can at some level, relate with what the people are feeling. The people were desperate for change. The people were desperate for just freedom. And specifically for the Jewish people, they were desperate to see God fulfill His promise that one day He is going to send a Savior. So yeah, this Passover week was beaming with a lot of hope, a lot of expectation, a lot of anticipation. Is Jesus the Savior who is going to save us from Rome. If you have a Bible, I want you to open up with me to Mark chapter 11, because in Mark chapter 11, this walks us through when Jesus arrived in the city of Jerusalem at the beginning of Passover. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 11 says this, as Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, 
Jesus sent two of them ahead. Go into the village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter into it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it and will return it soon. Now to us, this might seem like a really strange or odd request of what Jesus is asking some of his disciples to do. But what Jesus is doing in this moment is getting ready to make a really, really loud statement. Go on in verse 4. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing untying that colt? And they said what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Now, what's the loud statement that Jesus is preparing to make? And the loud statement that Jesus is making right here in this moment, in the few verses that we've read, is simply this, Jesus is king. In these few verses, the statement that Jesus is making is that Jesus, in fact, is king. The moment that Jesus sits on that donkey, he is letting people know, your king has now arrived. If you were to go back into the Old Testament, there was a prophet named Zechariah. And in the book of Zechariah, he made clear that one day, God's Savior, a king, was going to come. This is in Zechariah chapter 9, says this, Rejoice, O people of Zion! Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem! Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Now, anyone want to take a guess as to how the masses responded to Jesus when he showed up in the city of Jerusalem riding on a donkey? Well, I'll tell you, it would be a massive understatement to say that the city, the people, went absolutely crazy. Now, as I read their response to you, I want you to do the best that you possibly can to envision what it would have sounded like to have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people chanting and screaming as Jesus passed them by. This is in Mark chapter 11, starting verse 8. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him, they were shouting, Praise God, or Hosanna, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord, blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in the highest heaven. Why a donkey? Out of all the animals, why is Jesus riding on a donkey? That seems more like an animal fit for a hobbit not necessarily for a king. So why doesn't, why doesn't Jesus ride into town, into the city of Jerusalem, on just a ginormous white stallion? This has got to be better than riding into town on Bilbo Baggins' animal. Now, clearly, Jesus is seeking to make a statement, fulfill the, the prophecy in the book of Zechariah, but he's also trying to communicate to the people of what kind of king that Jesus is going to be. See, if Jesus showed up on a war horse, well, that would be a call to arms for the people of God to rise up with him as he leads them into victory over Rome. But when Jesus arrives on a donkey, 
He's letting people know that he's going to be a humble king, and he's actually going to be a king that's coming to bring peace. Now, we also read that people were throwing their garments on the streets as Jesus would walk by. And really, that was just a, a symbolic of the people were saying, we agree, we are submitting to this king that has now arrived in the city. And then it says others were beginning to wave the palm branches in the air. And you have to think this palm branches were a, a sign, as it were, of Jewish nationalism. It's the same concept of you and I waving maybe an American flag. Now, when Jesus arrives in the city, this is the perfect storm. And when I say the perfect storm, there's really three different groups of people that are now in the city. First, you have the crowds, million-plus people, and they're filled with these powerful emotions. The two predominant emotions for the people were this messianic fervor. They were so excited for a Messiah and Savior to come, but they also had an emotion of absolute hatred for Roman rule. And so the people were absolutely desperate for a revolution to take place. They just needed someone who was going to lead that revolution for them. And then you have Caesar. And clearly, Caesar, he's not going to allow for some rival king to challenge him. And then there are the religious leaders of the day. And they had already been denouncing Jesus because they were filled with bitter envy because the crowds were now going to Jesus, and the crowds weren't going to them anymore. So what's happening in this perfect storm? Well, when Jesus enters into the city of Jerusalem, this is what I will just simply call the point of no return. The actions of Jesus on what's now called Palm Sunday, when he rides into the city on a donkey, and he doesn't tell the crowds to quiet down, he doesn't tell the crowds to stop shouting, Hosanna or save us, Well, this set in motion a series of events, and this series of events that was set in motion, there could only be one of two potential outcomes. First outcome be, well, either Jesus is getting ready to overthrow uh, the Romans and the current religious establishment, or the second outcome would be Jesus is going to get killed. It's either he's coming to destroy Rome and establish a new religious order, or Jesus is going to be killed. I guess my question is, if Jesus knew this would be the outcome of his arrival in the city, then why ride into the city like he did? Like, why did Jesus come into Jerusalem in the manner that he came into Jerusalem? Now, thankfully, Jesus actually answered that question, answers that question for us in the chapter right before Mark 11 and Mark chapter 10. So if you have a Bible, just go back one chapter to Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 32. It says this, They were now on their way up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were filled with awe, and the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. Taking the twelve disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priest and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. 
For Jesus, there is absolutely no confusion as to what would happen to him once he arrived in the city of Jerusalem. He's going to be brutally beaten and brutally murdered. Now, if you're one of the disciples and you've just heard Jesus tell you, this is what's going to happen as we're walking towards the city. This is what's going to happen to me. If you're one of the disciples who heard Jesus say that, how do you think you would respond to Jesus in that moment? I mean, wouldn't you think you would probably say, hey, Jesus, I have an idea. It might not be the best idea, but let me run this idea past you. Maybe we should take a pass on Passover this year and avoid going into the city. What do you think, Jesus? Do you think that's at all a good idea that we should do that? Well, that is as far from how the disciples actually responded to Jesus. This was how the disciples responded to Jesus in Mark 10, verse 35 through 37. Soon as Jesus told them, we're going into the city, I'm going to be killed. Verse 35, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. Well, what is your request, he asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. Now, I read those few verses and I read the response and just kind of scratch my head of, Jesus just told you that he is going to be brutally beaten and then ultimately murdered on a cross, and all you can think about is where you're going to get to sit next to him on the left or right on his throne. I would be thinking, how messed up in your head do you have to be that your initial reaction and response is, hey, I want to make sure I've got a good seat in your kingdom. Well, the response to Jesus reflected what they believed Jesus was going to Jerusalem to ultimately do. They believed Jesus was going to be the king who would establish his kingdom and rescue them from Rome. They believed Jesus was moments away from establishing his earthly kingdom, so why not just simply ask him, can we sit somewhere near your throne? Even though Jesus had talked very openly and often about why he had come and what would happen to him once he arrived in Jerusalem. The disciples and ultimately the crowds, they just completely didn't get it. They missed it. One of the things that I've been thinking about this week and just journaled on was this. When I'm focused on what I want most, I completely miss what I need most. When I am just so focused on what I want most, I completely miss what I need most. The disciples, what they wanted most was a great view uh, when Jesus established his earthly kingdom. The people that were chanting, save us, that were chanting Hosea, what they wanted most was just liberation from Rome. The religious leaders, what they wanted most was they just wanted to be, protect their position of power and influence over the people. Now, I'm not sure how you'd fill in the blank of what you want most right now, I'm guessing maybe it's a relational want, that you want that relationship more than anything. Or what you want most right now is a better, improved financial situation. Or maybe what you want more than anything right now has to do with a physical need that you have. See, what Palm Sunday should remind all of us 
is, is that Jesus did not, enri- did not arrive in Jerusalem to ensure that we all get what we want most. Jesus arrived in Jerusalem to give humanity what we need most. There's a big difference. He didn't come to the city to be beaten and ultimately put on a cross so we would get what we want most. He came to the city that day to give us what we need most. And so the obvious question is just, what is it that we need most? And I don't know how you would currently answer that question, but what do we need most? And I love in the same chapter we just read in Mark chapter 10, Jesus helps us understand what we need more than anything else. It says in Mark 10 verse 45, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. I realize that the language of ransom is not part of our modern-day vernacular, but when the Bible makes use of that word ransom, what it is saying is that a price needs to be paid to secure our redemption. Okay, so obvious question becomes, what do we need to be redeemed from? I could answer that question really in one word, three letters, and it would simply be sin. The Bible makes clear that all people sin. The Bible makes clear that anyone who sins, which is all people, becomes a slave to sin, which means we just can't stop sinning. And the Bible makes crystal clear that we not only become slaves to sin, but our sin eternally separates us from God. So what do we need most, more than anything else? Again, one word, redemption. What you and I need more than anything, our greatest need is to be set free from sin and redeemed back into right relationship with God. That's what we need more than anything else. I love how the Apostle Paul talks about this in one of his letters that he wrote. 2 Corinthians says this, We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Jesus made clear that the reason he came was to give his life as a ransom, meaning his very life is a thing that secures our redemption. The thing that we need more than anything, Jesus came to give us redemption. So I want to ask you a really crucial question, and it's this. Has your greatest need been met yet? Has your greatest need been met? Meaning, have you made the decision to say, Jesus, I am trusting you as the one who not only paid the penalty for my sin, but I'm trusting you are the one who is going to make me right with God both now and forever. Now, if you would, this morning, answer that question with a resounding, yes, my greatest need has been met. I've received the redemption that Jesus gives. Then the rest of your life, this side of heaven, gets to be lived then as a redeemed one. Now, what's a redeemed one? Well, that's one who simply lives their life in order to help other people have their greatest need met by helping them to see, helping them to know, helping them to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what a redeemed one, that's how you live, doing whatever you can to serve others, to help others have their greatest need met by helping them come to know who Jesus is. Now, if you would say, my greatest need has not been met, I have not yet put any trust, any hope, any faith 
in Jesus, well then, that's why you are watching this message now. That's why you're listening to this message now, because you can make the decision wherever you happen to be right now to simply trust that Jesus is the one, the only one who redeems you from sin, the only one who will bring you back into right relationship with God. Jesus came into the city not to give the people what they wanted, which was freedom and liberation from Rome. He gave, came into the city to give us what we need more than anything, which is redemption.